0: This is Emmanuel Today, taking steps toward God's possible in your life. It's now time for you to sit back and prepare for insights on your walk with Christ. Let's join today's message right now. All right, let me tell you what my mom means to me. The first thing that I want to say is my mother-in-law, who I like to call my mom-in-love. My mom is my best friend and everything that I hope to be one day. She scratches my back. Like many moms, my mom was the greatest cook in the world. No matter what she has gone through in life, she's always persevered. My mom is one-of-a-kind. She goes above and beyond for everyone. She is not just a mother, she is a friend, she is a counselor. I'm thankful for a mom who raised me to know Jesus. I love being able to say that I can look up to my mom. She leads by example, and it was my mom-in-love who accepted me completely as her own. No matter what I've wanted to do, she's always said that's a great idea. Thankful for a mother in law who raised an incredible woman who's now my wife. And thankful for my daughter in law who's raising our grandson. Mommy is the best. She's my hero. You always need a cheerleader, and that's always been my mom for me. She means the whole world to me. She shows me unconditional love. My mom is the best mom. I love you, mom. I love you, mommy.
1: I love you, mom.
0: I love you, mama. Love you, mom. Happy Mother's Day to Jody. You're incredible. You helped raise four sons. And on top of that, you're an incredible leader, a spiritual leader, you're an incredible preacher. I love you. Happy Mother's Day. Well, hello. Happy Mother's Day to you. Now, we've said this a number of times, but um, just it's kind of strange being here without all the moms in the room. Uh, but we just want to say Happy Mother's Day wherever you're at. Uh, none of us expected to be a shelter in place on Mother's Day, so uh, let me know in the comments what you're planning to do today. That would be so fun to hear uh, what the plans are. Uh, we've got a lot of things going on in our lives, and I'm just, so proud of how everyone's been able to pivot, being able to take time and do, uh, make the most of every opportunity. Uh, moms, as you've got kids running around, jumping around while you're trying to work from home and you're doing online school, and so many things you pivoted and you've made the most of this time. So happy Mother's Day. So there are times in our life where we are handed things that we go, what do I do with this? Some of you may have felt that when you had your first child handed to you in the hospital. What do I do with this? Now, before you had that son or daughter, you thought, I am an expert. I know what I need to do. And then all of a sudden, it's handed to you, and it's not quite the same as what you thought it would be. And so there are other things in our lives, if we're uh, getting our first home or we're um, dealing with other things, bills and things for the first time, it's like, what do I do with this? All these experiences are humbling and they just give us, you know, a new thing to think about every day. Now, earlier this year, like back in January, I had felt so overwhelmed with all these thoughts and ideas and information and opinions of others and my own desire to be successful. And with each tidbit of information, it was like I was getting a small burden handed to me. It was like a stone that added some heaviness into my heart. And there was this rub that came because I felt like I need to do something with this. I just, it felt like it demanded a response. So just to try to figure out what to do, I would overprocess, and I would find myself talking to Nate and I would talk to my sister or my mom or my mother-in-law and rather than like relieving my burden, they were nice and they helped me, but it felt like it gave me a few more things to think about. And so then I would go on Facebook and I'd go, okay, you know, searching for information. Sometimes we just want a little bit of peace. And it was like a wheelbarrow full of ideas. And so the Lord gave me this picture of a rock. And it was as if I was going to different people and going, what do I do with this? And I would go and give it to my sister and I'm trying to give a burden. And then she would give me two back instead. And then I would go on Facebook, and it was a wheelbarrow full of ideas and thoughts. And so, what do I do with this? Now, the Bible has a lot to say about stones. And uh, we're gonna just touch on that a little bit, but we all face it. We all face information overload. And if you're a parent, it's getting exasperating right now. Some stones we're picking up because we're seeking information. Other stones are handed to us, unsolicited advice. That's always fun. Uh, Maybe it's a comment, a text. Maybe it's an email or a video someone thinks we should watch. Maybe it's an invitation, a suggestion, a Facebook post that kinda set us off Uh, Someone suggested there's a sermon from another pastor that we should reach and listen to. Others think uh, there's a news break that we need to know. Uh, Something could be this latest political conspiracy that we have to know about. So we're all seeking different information. So, And as this year has gone on, we have all been handed things that we didn't expect. What do I do with this? What do I do with the emotions that I'm experiencing? What do I do with the kids at home? What do I do with this entire situation I've been handed? What do I do with the frustrations I feel, the information that's out there? What's true? What do I do with this? What do I do with this stone? Now, stones are mentioned in the Bible quite a bit, and they signify strength, and they signify uh, uh, permanence. And although all the stones are made of basically the same material. They have a bunch of different sizes. And so in biblical times, stones were used for rest. Jacob rested on a stone and he wrestled uh, with God and he used the stone as a marker to remember that he, uh, that God spoke with him at Bethel. And then Moses sat on a stone as they raised his arms up over the battle. Uh, He struck a rock in disobedience to get water He had the Ten Commandments. God gave him the Ten Commandments on stone tablets. Stones were used in the Bible for protection. There were walls built, there were cities built, there were foundations under thrones, uh, there were well water, they were used for stones to cover the wells. Uh, They were also used in religious worship. Uh, They were used to build the temple and the altars to worship the Lord. Stones were also symbolic in the Bible. They, 12 stones represented the 12 tribes of Israel. There were heaps of stones that were put to commemorate an event like crossing the Jordan River. There were boundary markers to mark out land and there was stones of help, stones of witness, stones that were used in prophecies. Uh, the heart was compared to a stone. Uh, Jesus said upon this rock he's going to build his church and of Jesus moved the stone when he rose from the dead. So, in the Bible, stones were also used negatively. They were used, people used them and they carved out images and made idols out of stones. Uh, Stones were used for punishment. During wartime, people would take a whole bunch of stones and spread it over a field so they couldn't grow any, any crops. They would use stones and they'd fill them up in their well water so they couldn't get springs of water. Stones, they slaughtered animals and sometimes even um, hurt people on stones. Stones were used as a stumbling block and they marked tombs and they marked graves. They were used in slingshots and stoning was a form of capital punishment that was used in the Bible. Where people literally threw stones at people, they had blunt injuries and that actually made them pass away. So, stones, they were used for good and for bad. And do you know our words can be like a stone, like that too? Proverbs 18.21 says this, The tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. So, the title of my message is, What Do I Do With This? And I decided to uh, ask an expert, uh, Ellie Bright. She's just in middle school. And I just wanted to ask her, what do I do with this? So I asked her a question about three different things. And you got to check this out. She's going to set up my message. Three quick questions. What do I do with this? Well, you can either dribble it or try to get it in the hoop. (laughs) Oh. What do I do with this? Eat it. All right, that's fair. What do I do with this? Well, if you're mad at somebody, you can throw it at them. What else can I do with it? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. All right. Wow. What do I do with this? I throw it. If I'm really mad, I can throw it at somebody. And notice, when there are things that are familiar, we know what to do. We know when we've already been there. We've seen a ball. We know what to do with it. When we see bread, we know what to do with it. But when we see a rock, we don't always know what to do with it. Look at John chapter 8, and we're going to read um, a few verses here, starting in verse 1, and we're going to talk about what Jesus did with the stone. John chapter 8, starting in verse 1. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teacher of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stopped, or he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. So what do you do with the information and the angst in your heart, especially when it involves other people? Well, when we look at this passage, Jesus said, you "Well, know, he didn't take sides. So the first thing we can do when we're presented with information and angst in our heart, we don't take sides. It's a trap. So Jesus didn't take sides. He considered all the people in the audience. He wasn't siding with the accusers or the accused, and he was aware that this was a trap Jesus handled the situation in such a way as to make everybody reflect on their own heart and in their own life. They all had a choice. Do I throw a stone or do I drop it? Do I walk away? Do I repent? Jesus can be trusted to handle the sinner and the agendas of people. So what can we learn from this? Don't gang up on someone. Jesus was always looking for the outcast. He was, he was looking for the rejected, the outsider. He cared for the foreigner, the widow, the poor, and the orphans. The Bible, Jesus did it different. Love your enemies. Turn the other cheek. Pray for those who mistreat you. Seek to do good. The world is trying to trap us Christians publicly. Don't fall for it. John 3:16 and 17. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his only his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. Next, look at me. Look with me at 2 Corinthians 5 starting in verse 16. And this is where Paul is addressing the church in Corinth. So, we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and the new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ and God has given us his task of reconciling people to him. Did you catch that? And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ. When we plead, come back to God, for God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. So the second thing, what do you do with the information overload and the angst in your heart? You remember who you represent. So when Nate was young, his dad had uh, this thing that he would talk to him and said "Anytime time they left the house, son, remember who you represent. And Nate would have to say, yep, Dad, I represent the Roosh name and I represent Christians. And he's like, okay. And so Nate passed that on to our four sons. And so anytime they would go somewhere when they were, especially when they were young, hey boys, remember who you represent? And they're kind of like, okay, Dad, yeah, we represent the Roosh name and Christians. And so that is what we have to remember. Remember who we represent. We represent Christ, In this scripture, it said, stop evaluating others from a human point of view. And as a human, we're not all-knowing. We don't know everything. We don't see the way way God sees things. And so when we're trying to figure things out through our own mind, we're going to mess up. And if we're going to do it God's way, we have to stop seeing it our way. The second thing in this passage is we're tasked with reconciliation. This is something that Christ gave us to do, is to go and help other people be reconciled to God. And remember when we speak, we are speaking for Christ when we're trying to get people to come to him. And last week Pastor Nate talked about uh, how we'll be judged for every word and we have to remember that we're speaking for Christ. John 13:35 Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Not our arguments, not all the other things, not our own imagination or wisdom, it will be our love for one another. All right, so the next thing I wanted to share is when we have Girl track, we talk about a spirit-led honor code. So rather than give people a list of do's and don'ts, we talk about we don't want to be legalistic, but we don't want to be so free that we're causing other people to stumble. And so Emmanuel's leadership spirit-led honor code is actually in Galatians 5, 16 through 26. And so I'm going to read that, and then I'm going to just highlight a few things. Starting in verse 16. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are just the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. Now notice, we have good intentions, but we've got this internal fight. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under the obligation to the law of Moses. Verse 19, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasure, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have said before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. Now, as we've gone through this in Girl Track, it's pretty easy for us to see some of these sins. You're like, Jody, why are you going through this list? It doesn't make sense. Well, it's easy for us to go, well, sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures. Like, you know, of course, I don't do that. And then you kind of like skip over that. And I decided to pull out those verses or those words that are in the second part of verse 20 and start looking at what does that mean? These are how Christians are relating to each other. And the Bible says these are works of the flesh. And if we're this way, we're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Hostility. Hostility. The Greek word hostility means by implication, a reason for opposition, enmity or hatred. When we're hostile toward other people, it's actually the opposite of agape love. Quarreling, this is contention, strife, wrangling. And wrangling is like a debate in the church. Um, The Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines wrangling to dispute angrily or peevishly, to bicker, to engage in argument or controversy. So this is works of the flesh to debate and get into areas of controversy. How about jealousy? That's fierceness or contentious rivalry. It's jealousy. Outbursts of anger. That's hot anger, wrath that kind of spills up and boils over. And sometimes it's just wrath and anger that just kind of keeps building up and um, settles in on us. Next thing is selfish ambition. And this one surprised me when I looked it up. This is electioneering or intriguing for office. This is partisan fractionist. It denotes ambition of self seeking rivalry, a self will, an underlying idea. It's seeking to win followers. So when we have selfish ambition and we're trying to get a group of people to follow us, and even political engineering, like, That is wrong. Dissensions, this is disunity. It's division, sedition. And sedition means incitement of resistance or insurrection against lawful authority. That is wrong. The Bible says it's a work of the flesh. Divisions, it's factions. It's people trying to um, make up doctrine on their own and get men to follow them. It's heresy. That, the Bible says, is wrong. And envying is the feeling of displeasure produced when you see somebody else succeeding. That is also wrong. So you can see that it's easy to look at some of the other sins and kind of skip over these things, but Paul is addressing the church in this letter that he's saying, this is at war with each other. Like We think we want to do this, and we do this, and this is works of the flesh. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's agape love. It's goodwill. It's love. It's benevolence toward brothers and sisters. Joy. It's joy, delight, and gladness. Peace. It's harmonious relationships with other people. That's a fruit of the Spirit to get along with other people, to have peace to, with others. Patience. Patience is forbearance and long suffering, slow to avenging wrongs. Kindness, it's moral excellence. It's being gentle and good. It means being benign and a mild type of character that doesn't threaten health or life. That's what kindness means. Goodness is upright of heart and life. It's good and kind. Faithfulness, it's a moral conviction, a religious truth knowing that God is the way and the salvation, you're following it. It's assurance that salvation is through Jesus. Gentleness, that's mildness and meekness. Self-control is the virtue of one who masters his desires and passions to restrain. And those are the fruit of the Spirit. So what do you do with information overload and the angst in your heart? The third thing is let the Holy Spirit guide you. The way we relate to others determines if we're in the kingdom of God. If we have that in our lives, we need to let the Holy Spirit guide us. What if we all let the Spirit guide us in the way we treated people? And the fourth thing is how we can make a difference is stay on God's mission. Now I've had the privilege of teaching Girl Track and it's probably one of the coolest things that I enjoy doing. And um, I have a chance to speak to the people who are graduating from Girl Track and uh, some of us pastors get a chance to interview and just kind of hear their story. And this week I talked to a young man who's 20 years old. And I um, talked to him and I said, hey, how, tell me your story. How did you end up serving the Lord? How did you come to Emmanuel? And he said, this last July, uh, it was his first time at church. He said Emmanuel was the first time he's been at church and he felt the Holy Spirit here. And he said he was at a job and there was a girl who worked there and she kept inviting him to church. And he said, no, I, I don't do that. I'm not, I don't, I'm not a churchgoer. And so you know, she she would invite him and he just would let her know that that's not for him. Well, then this young man, he got a job at another location and he said, all the people were so nice. They were so kind. And he goes, they were Christians. And it made him start rethinking this, I don't go to church thing. And so one of them got baptized and invited him to come. and So then he called up his friend from Emmanuel and said, you know what? I want to be, I want to come to church. Like these people are so kind and they're so nice. And so he came to church and he's given his heart to the Lord and he got baptized. He's in growth track. And he was drawn to Jesus not because people were arguing and taking sides. He was drawn to Jesus because people were kind to him. They're, they're kind. And just think about the difference we can make in the lives of people just by being nice. Romans 2, 4 says this, Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? 1 Corinthians thirteen four says, Love is patient and kind. Proverbs three, five and six, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek His will in all you do, and He will show you which path to take. Psalm 46:10, be still and know that I am God. I will be honored by every nation. I will be honored throughout the world. Second Chronicles seven fourteen. Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and restore their land. If you wanna see a turnaround in your heart, you want that angst gone, if you wanna see a turnaround in your home, if you wanna see a turnaround in our land, we gotta do it God's way. It's a lot easier than you think. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus said this: "Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and my burden I give you is light." And I've asked the Velezes to sing the blessing, and as we think about. What are we passing on to the next generation? What are we passing on to our kids? I cannot help think about Matthew 7. And the chapter starts out about Jesus telling them not to judge others. And then he talks about effective prayer and keep on asking, you'll receive what you ask. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. And then it says this, you parents, if your children ask you for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask them? And then it goes on and talks about the golden rule and the narrow gate. And I just want to challenge you, when we're talking about the next generation, In the first opening story where um, Jesus asked who without sin cast the first stone, the oldest people were the ones who led the way first. And as we are older and more spiritually mature, what are we handing to the next generation? When they're asking for life, they want to give bread to the people around them. Are we handing them a stone? Are we handing them our, our fear? Are we handing them our faith? Thank you for listening to Emmanuel today. You can learn more about the various ministries that Emmanuel offers. Check out EmanuelCC.org for details. Please be sure to tell others about this broadcast that they could enjoy next week at this same time.